0: Welcome to church. Uh, you are part of a movement here today that began 2,000 years ago, um, and it is as strong as... And, and as alive as it has ever been here in Stockton First Baptist. And uh, we are celebrating, we are rejoicing what God's doing in our midst. Um, you know, when we say welcome to church, it's a little grammatically incorrect because we believe that the church is the people. And so we're not just talking about a place. We're not just talking about where you come or a building. But we're talking about the movement, the people of God who are coming together. And the church is about that um, and sharing the mission that Jesus set before us, that he is, Jesus Christ, is the hope of the world. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's why Christians join together and became the ones who started the first health care movement, hospitals, to care for the sick and the affirmed and those who couldn't care for themselves. That's why, because of Jesus, that Christians came together and were the first to start orphanages and help in the plight of those who could not help themselves. That's why so many of those Ivy League schools, and literally over 100 of the first 110 schools in this nation we're begun in the name of Jesus Christ to share and educate and teach people about the things that God has made and created and to take them to a higher standard and a higher place. Because of Jesus, art had such a heavy influence with Christian doctrine for years and centuries upon centuries because it all goes back to Jesus Christ. And you might say, well... Well, what's kind of changed? I mean, because you can definitely see our culture has changed. We're not focusing on Christ. In fact, in many places, taking God out of schools and the message of Jesus. Where did that all go? How did this original movement that we're a part of, the true mission of the church, how did it maybe get sidetracked in some ways from the popular culture? Let me tell you why. I believe religion has taken over for the code word for the movement that the church is really about. We've called it more about religion now than about having a relationship with a God who's active and alive in our lives. And so things are now done in the name of religion instead of the heart that Jesus intended for us it to be. Religion has really messed things up. And why do I hit that so strongly? Here's why I say this. Because I think Jesus was also very passionate about saying, I hate religion. And religious people made him very, very uncomfortable. Now, I hope if you're here for the first time today, that you would find this place not to be a religious place. Okay? You might say, that sounds kind of strange. This is church. Isn't it supposed to be about religion? No. No, no. It is about a love relationship with God. And we as the church come together and love him and we love his people. That's what it is about. Jesus confronted the religious people in the strongest of ways. You say, show me. Let me show you. Turn your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible here today, out in our Next Step Center, where if you're a first-time visitor, you can turn in your card as you go right back out into the Welcome Center. It's right there on your left. You can also pick up a Bible there today. That's yours to keep. We hope you'd come back and bring your Bible with you. But if you don't have a Bible here today, that's where you can pick one up. Luke chapter 15 has a very interesting story. And as you find that, just kind of hold that open on your lap. Let me um, Let me set the background for Luke chapter 15, though. Any Jewish person living at the time of Jesus believed to live in harmony with God was to live the Torah to its fullest. Now, say that word Torah with me. Say Torah. 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 Okay, that's a Hebrew word that was given to the first five books of your Bible. So if you just want to flip over to the first part, That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In my scriptures, it's that much. The first five books of the Bible are called the Torah. And to live the Torah started with knowing those books inside and out. It meant you not only read them, it meant you memorized them cover to cover, the first five books. And we're not just talking some simple verses, right? We're talking chapter upon chapter upon chapter upon verse upon verse upon 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 book upon book upon book upon book upon book. Five books that you would know. So all good Jewish boys were trained in memorizing these scriptures from a very early age. Now, The ones who memorized those first five books, which you look at that and you say, wow, that is incredible that you would be able to do that. The ones who memorized those first five books were challenged to continue on. And the best of the best of the best made their livelihood by becoming religious leaders. They were trained under a rabbi. And they would grow up to become Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law. They were, they were rabbis. They were going to be teachers. All who did not make the cut went into a trade. So many of you know that the trade of the father of Jesus, Jesus' father Joseph, was a what? He was a carpenter. He didn't make the cut. In fact, Jesus didn't make the cut. Now, we don't know if he tried to make the cut. I mean, if he tried to make the cut, he wrote it for for goodness sake, right? He he could have done this, but he but he he didn't. So, he didn't go that way. Um, and Jesus was a carpenter as well. Uh other people would become tradesmen, they would become fishermen, they'd become farmers, that type of thing. But to be a rabbi meant that you spoke with shmikah. So, say that word with me. Shmikah. All right, there's a Hebrew word again. You know Torah and you know Shmika. To have Shmika meant that you spoke with authority when you taught. Now, to have Shmika meant that you needed two others who already spoke with authority, who were already rabbis, and they confirmed that you were going to be a valid teacher. And so if you taught with authority, you would have a yoke. Try that word with me. Yoke. Okay, there is an easier word. You had a yoke, which was your teaching. So to be one with Shemekah meant that you had a teaching or a yoke that also had followers. Now watch how this worked. It went like this. So Rabbi so-and-so teaches Deuteronomy 9.24 as being such. How do you interpret it? or rabbi so and so says that in Genesis 29 it talks about interprets it this way how do you interpret it and so that's how you developed your teaching you developed your authority you developed your yoke and you would have a yoke your teaching became a yoke that you lived under and your followers lived under as well now here's why i'm bringing this up those yokes in the time of Jesus became heavy they became burdensome. They became legalistic. And now here comes Jesus, and he's gathering these disciples. He's gathering some outcasts. And in essence, there is a new yoke in town, right? He, he is busting the schmeek up, is what he's doing right there. Okay. In fact, say that with me. Busting the shmika. I bet you when you woke up this morning, you never thought you'd be saying that in church, did you? He, But he is that's what he is doing. He is busting the schmika. There is a new yoke in town. He is saying, my yoke is light. My yoke is easy. My yoke is not heavy. It's easy and it's light. It's not burdensome. He is saying, you've heard it said that you're supposed to legally carry a cloak for one mile. He says, in love... I want you to go too. He says, He says, you've heard it said that you're supposed to hate your enemy? Uh-uh, uh-uh. I want you to love your enemy. And you can imagine, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religi- religious leaders were not enjoying what Jesus was saying. He was turning the system upside down. He was not very popular with these people. In fact, you know, there's there's little ways that we see the legalism and the legality. Um, I, I pick this up. Uh, oftentimes with these sound systems and such, you have these cords. And, and I noticed this a while back that uh, this is an extension cord, right? And it's a cord that has three plugs here. And it's about two feet long. Um, most of us know how to use this, correct? Plug it into the wall, plug it into other things. Do we really need four pieces of literature on here that are explaining How to use this? Really? Really? I mean, I get it, you know, electricity and be careful and all that. But four pieces of litter on this little two-foot plug is what the what the um, uh, lawyers and such want us to know and just to clear all of our names. Um, I saw this in another way. I was at a uh, gathering last night that had a pool and I remembered about a beach ball that we got for our kids um, a number of years ago. And uh, on that beach ball, you know how the beach ball colors, they're usually what? They're, there's like a, a slice of red and there's yellow and there's white or there's blue on there. I remember one of the beach balls we got on the white, it had instructions on a beach ball that covered the entire entire white space. The whole thing. Do any of you know how to use a beach ball? Are you okay using a beach ball? Right? Right? I mean, I get it. It's not a flotation device, but to cover the whole page and try to explain, it's a beach ball, right? Have fun. It's something like I think Jesus would have been confronting. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are saying, let's have these rules, let's have these things, let's have them printed, let's have them in place. This is what we got to follow. This is what, how we do it. This is what Deuteronomy says. This is what Exodus says. you got to follow it. And Jesus comes along and says, oh, you've so missed my point. You've so missed the purpose of it. Those are good. Those are okay to put into place. Those are the law. Those are guidelines. But the love... The love that I want you to do within, that is what's paramount. That's what I want you to follow. Now, here's why I share this. As you go back to your scripture there in Luke chapter 15. Let me read the first two verses. Luke 15, 1 and 2. Because this is what Jesus was confronting. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. That's they were drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Now, to eat with someone in this day was placing them on your same level. I mean, similar, you know, today, if we want to get to know somebody, we take them out to eat or we invite them over to our home to eat. Probably the main reason we're doing a barbecue in a couple of weeks, we want to share the table with one another, get to know one another, treat one another as, as you know, level service. We're wanting to get them. And so these Pharisees and Sadducees who see themselves above are saying, he goes out and he eats with these tax tax collectors and sinners. These would be perhaps the drug addicts of the day. These would perhaps be the alcoholics. They would be the uh, maybe the shopaholics of our day. Maybe the gossipers. Maybe these would be the people who stay home and watch football on Sunday mornings instead of coming to church. (gasps) Right? Right? Because it's about rules, right? It's It's about rules. And so Jesus is looking, he's he's hanging with these people and he's having a good time with them. And the Pharisees are saying, oh, look at who he's with. Look at what he's doing. Look at his friends. And Jesus senses what the Pharisees are saying. And I, in my mind, have this thought that he moves over to where they're talking, because you kind of get the sense that they're a little, they're a little displaced over here and they're grumbling, and you get the sense that Jesus kind of walks over to him, and he begins telling the story to all the people that he's with, and he knows he's getting their attention. He knows they're starting to hear them because he wants them to hear them. In fact, he begins to tell not one, not two, but he begins to tell three stories in a row. This is the only place I can see where Jesus tells these three stories. Boom, boom, boom. He tells them three in a row. Do you know why he did it? Probably for the same reason that your mother called you your first, you know, your three names. Right? Right? Bradley, Clifford, Stahl. Right? She would say that to me, which is the last time we will ever say that in the sanctuary right here. All right? Okay? That's that's for my mother. Not for any of us. All right? All right? But he's wanting to prove a point, is he? He's wanting to get a point across. He's going for something. He's saying, hey, hold on a second. You're ragging on me because I'm with sinners? And he scratches his head. He probably kind of stroked his beard. And maybe even to hold back a little bit of frustration that he had at them, he says, let me tell you a story. And he goes into three stories right in a row. And so you can follow along with your scriptures if you want. I'm going to tell them a little bit more narratively. He tells the first story that we have in our Bibles, uh, verses 3 through 7. It's about a a man who owned a hundred sheep. And he had these sheep, he was tending these sheep, and he was counting these little woolly creatures, and one of them happened to wander away. And so looking at all the rest of the 99 safe in his pen, he goes and he searches for the one who had left. And he finds it. And when he finds that one sheep, he takes it, and he places it on his shoulders, and he hikes on back, and he tells the people as he comes, we are going to celebrate because I have just found my wandering sheep. And then he pauses. He looks. He thinks, are they still with me? He tells them another story. He tells them a story about a woman who loses a coin. She had 10, but she loses one. And because she loses that coin, she turns her house upside down. She lights a lamp. She sweeps out the furniture. She sweeps uh, the furniture aside. She gets on her hands and knees. She looks underneath and she finds it. And when she finally finds it after her search, she calls her friends and she said, let's rejoice. Celebrate because I found my coin. Jesus pauses. He looks. Doesn't hear anything from the Pharisees. So he goes for his third story. He said there was a man who had two sons. And this is one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. One of the sons uh, became a little wild and wanted his inheritance. And so he asked his father for it, and his father didn't hold it back and gave it to him. And he went off and he squandered his wealth. He did wild, wild living. But when the wealth disappeared, so did the friends. And he began to work in a pig slop shop. And he would slopped the food out for the pigs. And he thought, you know what? Those pigs are eating better than me. And actually scripture implies that he was filling his stomach on the pods that the pigs were eating. And he thought, my father's very servants are living better than I am here now. Perhaps I will go back home. And perhaps I will beg my father to accept me as one of his servants. And so he begins to go back home. And as he's heading down the road, his father who had been out waiting for him sees him and his father runs to him and scripture says that he Hugged him, and he kissed him, and he kissed him, and he kissed him, and he kissed him. And before he can even get his words out to say, Father, forgive me. Let me just be a higher hand. The father is already saying, no, come. You are my son. I've been waiting for you. Give him uh, the fattened calf. Give him a fresh suit of clothes. My wayward son is home. We are now going to celebrate. And then Jesus pauses after telling a little bit more of the story that we'll get to later. And he looks around. And he says, there, that should do it. That should tell these religious leaders what matters to my father. That should make an impression on them. Who matters and who doesn't. I never want them to be confused about that again. And yet 2,000 2, years later, many of us are still confused. Many of us don't live the way that Jesus intended the story to live. Many of us don't live with the impact of what this story is all about, what these three stories are all about. And so here's what I want to do. I want you to take out your outline, and very quickly, we're going to go over these three stories, because all three are told with a purpose in mind. What's Jesus getting down here? Let's dissect these together. The first thing is this. In each parable, something valuable is lost. In each of these parables, something valuable is lost. You can see in verse 4, it's the sheep who is lost. In verse 8, it's the coin who is lost. And in verses 11 through 13, of course, it's the son who is now lost. And as Jesus is telling this story, and these sinners and tax collectors, they are hearing it, but Jesus is really intending it more for the holy huddle, those people who are you know, thinking that they are all in, the religious leaders, I think the lights had to start to come on at least just a little bit here. And they had to begin to realize, wow, okay, what he is saying, this is his yoke. It is not about perfection. It is not about religion. This wasn't about righteous living and getting it all perfect. In fact, this isn't about perfect memorization of the Torah as well. This isn't about the clothes that you wear and how your appearance is. What really matters to God were the people that the holy huddle were putting down. Lost people matter to God. Amen? And he is shmeek all over them right here. He is just going after this, and he is telling, that is his point. And so I guess the question for us today, 2,000 years later, is this. Do we value what God values? Do we value life, lost people? Do we value people who are not in relationship with him? Do we value people who are not a part of an active, growing church so that they can have an active, growing relationship with God as well? Do we value what God values? And if today you are here and you consider yourself kind of in the holy huddle, you're a part of this church, what matters to God should matter to you. What matters to God should matter to me. But if today you've come because someone invited you, or you've come just kind of coming back to church, and you don't feel like you are in this holy huddle, you've got to hear this and hear this clearly. You matter to God in ways that you never probably would have imagined. This culture will tear you down, this culture will spit you out, this culture will say there is no God, this culture will say you don't matter to that kind of a God, and your self-worth would just be diminished. But if you understand that there's a God who made you, a God who loved you, and He is wildly searching for you because you're lost, you're not in a relationship with Him, that changes your life. That changes the lives of the people around, and we have to get used to that and remembering that. Because we have reminders on every corner of this campus. When you leave these campus, what does it say? What do those signs say? You are now entering the what? You are now entering the mission field. Something valuable is lost and we need to go find it. And if today, if you're one of those, you kind of wandering in here and you're saying, well, I'm not sure if I'm found, I'm not sure if I'm lost. If you kind of feel you're off track with God, wonder no longer. Yes, God loves you intensely. You matter to him and he is searching for you which is the second point of each of these parables in each of the parables a search is launched in each of these stories there is a search that is launched and you can just track it right through there when something is missing, um, you go out, you, you look for it. In verse 4, you see it's the sheep. Again, in verse 15, it's the coin um, that the woman turns her house upside down for. In verse 20, it's the son that had to learn some hard lessons. But afterwards, he came back. A search is launched because the father was out there looking for the son. Which, by the way, let me say this about that part of the story. This is the only place in Scripture that I have seen Where God is ever portrayed in a hurry. You can read all throughout scripture and you never see God in a hurry. He is relaxed. He's on his own time. He has made time. So time does what he wants it to do. But he is patient. He is loving. He is slow to anger. You see him all over scripture of not ever being in a hurry. This is the only place where I have seen a portrayal or personification of God. Because that's the role that the father plays in this story. Who's ever in a hurry. And what is he in a hurry for? For something that's lost. Searching someone who is lost. Searching out for that lost item. In each of these stories, there's a search engine that is launched to go find. In fact, do me a favor and look back at uh, chapter 14. Because there's a very interesting story that goes on here. Again, I want to give you the bigger context of what's going on in these stories. Um, This is chapter 14, uh, verse 16. Jesus is again, well, let's go back up to 15. He's at a a home. He's he's, he's at a home where it says he's reclining at the table. and, And someone talks about the kingdom of God. And it reminds Jesus, you know what? Let me tell you a little bit about the kingdom of God. And so he says in verse 16, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many people. A man had this huge banquet. So he hears the word, the kingdom of God, And if you look throughout the book of Luke, you will see that the kingdom of God is compared to a banquet or to a dinner 32 times. And these banquets and dinners, they're no small little parties. They are good-sized parties. They are parties where you are celebrating and you are having a fun time, and when you're eating with one another and fellowshipping and sharing with one another. And so it comes over and over and over again in the book of Luke. And you'll see, as Jesus tells the story, I won't take the time to read it all, but you tell the story that the, the, the um, host is inviting people to come in, and people aren't coming. They have excuse after excuse after excuse. In fact, it says there, um, and then uh, verse 21, here's what the host says. He says, go out quickly to the streets, to the lanes in the city, bring in the poor, bring in the crippled, bring in the blind, bring in the lame. It goes on in verse 23 to say, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come into my house that my house may be, what's the word there? Maybe, maybe filled. May be filled. If I'm going to have a house, if I'm going to have a celebration, if I'm going to have a dinner, I want people to come. The search is on. And this had to have ticked off the Pharisees. Because now they're learning. This is not just for the frozen chosen, right? This is not just for us who thought we had it. We're the memorizers. We got the whole first part of Scripture down. We had the first five books. We can hold that over the people. No, this is not just for them. And Jesus is coming in here with a new yoke. There's a new yoke in town. And the truth of the matter is, is that every one of us who are in here today, every one of us are here because of God's invitation to us. And that's what God, Jesus is showing here in these three stories. He's saying, something has been lost, and I'm doing an all-out search to bring it in. And when that lost item is found, here's the last part, the last part of the parable. In each parable, a party is thrown. A party is thrown when that lost item is found. Now, I'm not much into numbers, but it's kind of interesting that the sheep is one of a hundred, that the coin is one of ten, and the son is one of two. And so it almost kind of intensifies, intensifies, intensifies as Jesus is telling this story. And it's fascinating that Jesus also includes this last part about a celebration being thrown. And so you you see in verse 6, where it says, rejoice, the lost is found. And then in verse 9, rejoice, the lost coin is found. And then in verse 22, my son is found. It is party time. And they are slapping high fives. They are blowing kisses at one another, perhaps. They are shouting to one another. They are dancing. They are celebrating. And then somebody notices that the other brother, the older brother, is not really celebrating. In fact, somebody kind of gets alongside him and says, uh, you know, your father's throwing this huge party for your brother and what, you're invited too. Why, why don't you come? And he gets a little indignant. He gets a little uh, uppity. He gets a little, you know, I've been here this whole time. Nobody's ever thrown a party for me. I've been doing everything right. Why have I not ever been celebrated? This is unfair. It's not about me. It's not about me. It should be about me because I've been doing the right things. I've been, perhaps, the one memorizing all the Scripture. I've been the one who has the things in place and doing it right. And I think Jesus tells this part of the story specifically for those Pharisees and Sadducees because what he is saying is that many times the opposition to doing church the way that Jesus says we should do church comes from good Christians. Uh-oh, he is really busting the shemika now, isn't he? It's, it's, it's on now. He is stepping on toes. He is saying, just because you're in, doesn't mean you control everything. I've been at churches where um, people have been tapped on the shoulder. In fact, I've witnessed this, not at this church, but I've witnessed this, where someone got tapped on the shoulder, and the person said, "Um, excuse me, but you're sitting in my seat. I've been in churches where some of the little old ladies crochet these pillows and they take these pillows and they put them in the pews and they have their name on it. Literally, they have their name on it and you do not go sit where those pillows are. I've been in those churches. In fact, we have all been in a church where someone has said, this church is big enough. You don't need to grow anymore. You remember the story. Pastor Jim shared that a few weeks ago and how he brought that faithful tender along And said, if we have everybody here, then I'm done. I quit because that's not what God has said. He said, we have to continue to bring, continue to bring, continue to bring. And that person eventually came around to understanding as Pastor Jim taught them that that's what our church is about. That is why our church is full right now. Because we keep that in front of the people. That lost people matter to God. That something was lost and its value. And a search is on. And the house needed to be full. And when it is found, the party gets to be gets to be uh, celebrated. And if you are on the side of saying, I don't like the people who are now sitting in my seat. If you are on the side of saying, I don't like how big the church grows. Then you are having older brother mentality. Because I got to be honest with you. We will never have enough people at this church. And we will continue to find ways where they will fit into these walls. And we will continue to find ways that maybe it's not even in this walls, but it's other places on our campus, as Crosswalk has been for 15 years, in other places in our city. We will continue to search the heart of God to say, God, we know that lost people matter to you, and that's what we need to be about. And when we as a church gather that, when we live that out, truly live that out, because I know you've been hearing this message for 26 years, that's what our senior pastor Jim has been, uh, pastor Jim has been teaching us, when we get that fully, we will grow out of these walls like no other church has. In fact, I remember hearing a story—true story—not long ago of uh, of an elder who was at a church. And uh, he got involved in a, in a terrible sin. He left his church in a very scandalous type of way. He wrote nasty notes trying to cover up things. He wrote letters trying to ridicule and slander other people. For seven years, though, they knew he was in a slanderous lifestyle, sinful lifestyle, and he was out living it. After seven years, he kind of realized the, the, the problems that he was having, and, and much like the prodigal son, then wanted to come home. So he wrote a letter to the pastor. He said, Pastor, I'm so sorry for the way I left. I know the sin lifestyle that I have been in, and I want to meet with you to apologize. So the pastor said, come on in. Let, let's talk about that. And he sits in front of the pastor, and he says, Pastor, I know I am not worthy to be an elder again, but could I just please come to the church? Could I just maybe just even sit on the back pew and just be there in the church at some point in some time? The pastor looks at him and says, Um, are you going to be in church this weekend? And the man said, you know, pastor, if you allow me to be, I'll be there this weekend. The pastor said, okay, come. You can come this weekend. So the man comes to church, and he sits in the back row, the very back pew on the bottom level, and um, after the service is over, no one has really noticed him, and the people are all filing past him, and nobody is saying anything to him, and he Decides to kind of look up and see if he can catch the eyes of some of the old friends that he had there and yet everybody's kind of averting their eyes to him and no one's really paying attention to him. In fact, they're all filing out one person after another kind of like he's not even there and they all kind of have some other place to go and and he's feeling crushed as he's back there. And so the pastor walks up after everybody's kind of left and he said, Frank, how you doing? Frank said, well, you know what? I'm doing all right. I guess I didn't expect anything kind of different. And the pastor puts his arm around him and said, um, you know, Frank, why don't we kind of take a walk out by the oak tree? And as Frank and the pastor woke, uh, walked out the door and the pastor had his arm around him, they walked out to the oak tree area and he looked up and he heard this screaming and shouting and there was the entire church who were yelling, surprise! And there's this huge banner that's out there that says, welcome home, Frank. And they're throwing this huge party for him. This is a true story. They're throwing this huge party for him. And Frank kind of looks at him. And they have some time to pray for him and pray over him. And the, the pastor looks at Frank and says, you know, Frank, you know the story of the prodigal son and how the father gave his son um, a, a robe. Uh, we don't have a robe here today, but we got a great motorcycle leather jacket for you. Wear this. It's yours. And he says, You know the story how the father gave him a, a ring? Uh, we have a ring for you today. And it's inscribed with Luke 15, 11 through 32 on it, which is the story of the prodigal son. He said, You know, I'm sorry we don't have a fattened calf, but we got a great barbecue going on out here. So let's enjoy this together. And the pastor who shares that story says that Frank's spiritual life was never the same. Went to a new place because he saw the forgiveness, he saw the love, he saw the party that was thrown for him, because he realized he was lost, and now he's found. You know, let me make this very real. Those of you who have made a decision to follow Christ as Lord and Savior, do you remember where you were at that time? Some of you, it could have been decades ago. For others of you, it may have been months or weeks ago. At that time that you made a decision to receive Christ into your life, there was a party that was thrown in your honor. You say, how do you know that? Look back at chapter 15, verse 10. Jesus, in telling the story, and this one is about specifically the coin, he says, just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who, what's the word there? Who repents. Who comes home. Who turns back. And says, I'm in. And there was a banner that was made for you. There was confetti that was being prepared to go off. There were beach balls. Because we know how to use those beach balls, right? There were beach balls <laughs> battered around. There were party favors, plate, cupcakes, streamers. You got the whole thing in your honor. And the angels celebrated. But if you haven't made that decision yet, let me tell you, there's a party waiting to be busted out just waiting for you. And it's not a party here on earth, although we will celebrate that with you. But it's a spiritual party in heaven. That today, if you make that decision, if you say, you know what, God, I realize now how much I matter to you. I realize how much you have been searching for me. He is simply asking you to be the guest of honor. You know, religion won't tell you that. But a relationship with God, that's what it says. That's what it's about. It says, welcome home.